Chapter thirty eight of the Forgery by George Payne Rainsford James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter thirty eight. Maria turned very pale on hearing her uncle's name, and her eyes unconsciously glanced towards her aunt. But poor Lady Fleetwood had turned paler still, for she seemed to divine in an instant all the consequences which acting unadvised in the affairs of others, with nothing but the best intentions to support her, had produced, and when she saw that Mr. Scriven, on entering the room, was followed by Mr. Stolterforth, the banker, her heart sank farther still. The movements of all parties in the room were characteristic. Mr. Hargrave sat calmly for a minute on his chair, scanning Mr. Scriven with a curious and inquiring eye. Henry stood firm and erect, with no other appearance of that emotion which the struggle about to commence must necessarily have produced than a slight contraction of the brow and the least possible curl of the lip charles marston who was talking with lady anne murmured in a low tone as soon as he saw the banker following the merchant scriven and company once more and took a step forward to henry hayley's side mr winkworth broke off a conversation with mrs bryce put on a large pair of spectacles and stared full at mr scriven with a keen searching look the two county magistrates conferred together in a low tone, glancing from time to time at the entering party, and Lady Anne, with graceful ease but with a colour somewhat heightened, advanced a little before the rest to receive her not unexpected visitor. Mr. Scriven himself could not be said to be graceful, but he was perfectly unembarrassed. He was pursuing his system, following his game, acting in the same character which he had sustained through life. He had nothing, he thought, to be ashamed of or afraid of, nothing to agitate him but eagerness, and although it must be confessed, he was more eager in this instance than on ordinary occasions, yet his eagerness was much less intense than that of most men, when seeking even less important objects. "'Good morning, Mr. Scriven,' said Lady Anne, in a calm tone. "'Good morning, Mr. Stolterforth.' He was her banker. "'To what may I owe the pleasure of seeing you? "'I fear funds must have fallen terribly, "'or else risen so high that you cannot invest for me, Mr. Soldierforth.' "'I am sorry to say that our business at your ladyship's house "'is of a much more painful nature,' replied Mr. Scriven. "'But it is not with you.' "'Whatever happens in my house must be business of mine,' "'answered Lady Anne, and therefore I must beg to know it.' Mr. Stolterforth, who had an infinite reverence for Lady Anne's hundreds of thousands, even more, indeed, than for her beauty, though he admired both, remarked a certain twinkle of the eye, which was not satisfactory to him. But Mr. Scriven pushed his point coolly, and advancing towards Henry Hayley, he said, "'My business is with this person. Sir, I am now in a position to charge you directly with being here under an assumed name and character. Your real name is Henry Hayley. Is it so, or is it not? Greatly to the surprise of Maria, and to the utter astonishment of Lady Fleetwood, Colonel Middleton answered in a cool, determined tone, It is not. Well then, sir, replied Mr. Scriven, I am in a condition to prove the fact, and moreover that in the month of August 18 blank, the same Henry Hayley was charged upon oath with forgery, 
and a warrant obtained for his apprehension. "'You will prove, sir, what you are able to prove,' replied Colonel Middleton, with the same degree of coolness, for everything like agitation had vanished from the moment the struggle began. However, as you are making a serious charge, you had better, in the first place, consider it well, and the grounds upon which it is founded, and secondly, you had better make it in a more proper place than the drawing-room of Lady Anne Mellant. "'What? And give you an opportunity of running away again?' replied Mr. Scriven. "'There, my good sir, you are mistaken, for I do not intend to lose sight of you till I lodge you in jail.' Hitherto poor Lady Fleetwood had been totally overcome, but she now rose from her chair, trembling, and exclaimed, "'Oh, my dear brother, for heaven's sake, don't! You promised me, you know, that you were—' "'Hush!' exclaimed Mr. Scriven. "'Margaret, you're a fool. You had better leave the room. No, stay. Your evidence may be wanted.' I was told at the house of a gentleman named Hargrave, a magistrate for this county, that I should find him here. If he be present, I must beg his assistance in this case. My name, sir, is Hargrave, replied that gentleman, rising, and I am, as you say, a magistrate and the chairman of the magistrates of this district. I am quite ready to afford any assistance in my power, in a legal manner. Here are also two of my brother justices present, sir harry henderson and colonel mandrake whose opinion will be valuable may i ask what charge you have to make against this gentleman colonel middleton i charge him sir with forgery replied mr scriven committed rather more than ten years ago by putting my acceptance to a bill with intent to defraud messrs stolterforth and company one of the partners of which house is now here with me where was the forgery committed demanded mr hargrave "'In London, sir,' replied Mr. Scriven. "'Then I am afraid we cannot entertain that charge,' said Mr. Hargrave. "'Informations should have been sworn, sir, in the county where the act was committed. "'But I am very willing to give any help in my power. "'Have you a copy of the depositions, or a warrant against this gentleman, "'or a copy of the informations? "'In fact, anything for us to go upon?' "'I have not,' answered Mr. Scriven. I was not aware of such technical niceties, and set out at once with my friend, Mr. Stolterforth, as soon as I had procured evidence sufficient to justify his apprehension. And I do think that, by a fair construction of the law, you yourself can grant a warrant, rather than suffer a person who has already escaped the hands of justice, to abscond again. "'It may be so,' replied Mr. Hargrave, and then, after speaking a few words to his brother magistrates, he added— it is my opinion, Mr. Scriven, and that of the other two justices here present, that you should so frame your charge as to bring it more immediately within our cognizance. You state that Colonel Middleton is here under an assumed name, and if you suspect that name is assumed for any illegal purpose, an information upon oath to that effect will quite alter the case, and enable us more satisfactorily to deal with the charge. Are you prepared to make one? I am answered Mr. Scriven. I charge him with being here under an assumed name upon fraudulent purposes towards my niece, and also with the view of avoiding apprehension upon a more serious accusation. That will do, answered Mr. Hargrave, but we must conduct matters a little more formally. One word, if you please, my dear sir, said Henry, advancing a little. For my own part, I have not the slightest objection to your dealing with the whole case, 
although several persons whom I might wish to call upon as evidence are now in London, and, as this is merely, I take it, a preliminary examination, I promise you, if you like to go into the whole case, I will myself take no steps whatsoever hereafter in consequence of a want of jurisdiction. "'We shall see as we proceed,' replied Mr. Hargrave. "'Mr. Scriven's information must be reduced to proper form, but it very luckily happens that our clerk has come over this morning on some business, and with Lady Anne's permission we shall convert her library into a justice-room and deal with the case at once.' "'I trust it is to be an open court,' said Lady Anne, "'for where so serious a charge is made against one of my guests, I feel, of course, personally interested.' "'Oh, undoubtedly it is an open court,' replied Mr. Hargrave, "'for I could not suffer an investigation of so serious a nature "'to be carried on in secret, "'even if the accused were my most intimate friend. "'We will adjourn, then, to the library, if you please, "'which will be more convenient, "'and I will send for the magistrate's clerk. "'You shall sit upon the bench, fair lady, "'although I almost think the interest of the matter "'may be too much for you.' "'Oh, dear, no!' replied Lady Anne. I can bear up against harder things than this. Come, Maria, and she linked her arm in that of her friend. The emotions of Maria Monkton during the whole of this scene would be difficult to describe minutely. Much pain, much agitation she had certainly suffered, and the colour had risen warmly in her cheek when her uncle had coupled her name with Colonel Middleton. But upon the whole, her courage had rather risen than fallen and her composure had in a great degree returned. Henry's perfect coolness and the gentlemanly dignity with which he treated her uncle's charge had not been without their effect upon her, and she had remarked with surprise, but with satisfaction also, that the accusation had not called forth an expression of wonder from the magistrates before whom it was made. In short, that they all seemed in some measure prepared for it. The party then proceeded to the library, Lady Fleetwood, as they went, endeavouring to communicate something to Mr. Scriven in a low tone, and that worthy gentleman turning rudely away from her. The magistrates took their seats on one side of the large, old-fashioned library table. The clerk was sent for and almost immediately appeared, and after a good deal of trouble he contrived to reduce the somewhat loosely worded charge of Mr. Scriven to a technical form. When this was done, the accuser was sworn to his information, and Mr. Hargrave then, turning towards him, said, "'Now, Mr. Scriven, will you have the goodness to bring forward your proofs?' "'In the first place,' said Mr. Scriven, "'the likeness is so exceedingly strong that there can hardly be a doubt. From the likeness alone I am ready to swear that I believe the person calling himself Colonel Middleton to be no other than Henry Hayley.' "'We have so many cases of mistaken identity,' said Mr. Hargrave, "'that it will require very strong evidence to establish the fact by mere resemblance. "'Pray, how long ago is it since you saw this Henry Haley?' "'Somewhat more than ten years,' answered Mr. Scriven. "'Hm,' said Mr. Hargrave. "'What age was he then?' "'I believe between sixteen and seventeen,' answered the merchant. "'Are they of the same height?' inquired the magistrate. "'Oh, dear, no,' was the reply. "'Henry Haley was decidedly shorter. "'But if you recollect his age, that is easily accounted for.' "'Hm,' said Mr. Hargrave again. "'Have you any other persons ready to swear to the identity?' 
Yes, was the reply. Mr. Stolterforth here must remember him very well. We are ready to take his deposition, said Mr. Hargrave, and Mr. Stolterforth, coming forward with some hesitation, deposed, to the best of his knowledge and belief, that the person before him was the same Henry Haley who had absconded ten years before. Mr. Scriven then called upon Charles Marston, who came forward without hesitation, and was asked as to the resemblance. "'They are very like, certainly,' he said with a smile. "'But still, either my sight is not as good as my uncle's, or else my spectacles do not magnify as much as his, for I must confess that, though I was at school with Henry Haley, and have been long acquainted with Colonel Middleton, I did not perceive the likeness till Mr. Scriven pointed it out.' I always thought him like somebody I had known, but could not tell whom. "'Have you any question to ask the witness, Colonel?' said Sir Harry Henderson, turning to the accused. "'Merely this,' replied Henry. "'You have said that you have known me long, Marston. Have you frequently seen me in society?' "'Oh, dear, yes,' replied Charles. "'In the society of Englishmen, Spaniards, and Italians.' "'Then by what name did I usually go, and how was I recognised and received?' was the next question. "'By the name of Colonel Middleton,' replied Charles Marston, "'and under that name you were always recognised and received as a very distinguished officer in the Spanish service, and the nephew of Don Balthazar de Camosa, a grandee of Spain, by the marriage of his niece with an English gentleman. I have conversed with several noble Spaniards, who claim close kindred with you, by the mother's side, and— "'This is all hearsay,' said Mr. Scriven, "'and I object.' "'Hold your tongue, sir,' said Colonel Mandrake sharply. "'The magistrates will object when they think the evidence inadmissible. Go on, if you please, Mr. Marston.' "'I was only going to say,' continued Charles, "'that I can take upon myself to swear that Colonel Middleton succeeded to a considerable portion of the property of Don Balthazar on account of his relationship.' "'for I heard it from persons who shared with him.' Hm, said Mr. Hargrave again. "'I think, as far as we have gone yet, Mr. Scriven, "'you have made out a case for strong resemblance, but nothing more.' "'I will do more presently,' replied Mr. Scriven dryly. "'But I will first call my sister Lady Fleetwood.' "'In a state of bewilderment and agitation, perfectly indescribable, "'Lady Fleetwood advanced to the table.' in that exact frame of mind from which a skilful advocate can extract anything upon earth. She would have sworn, under a little management, that the sun was black and the moon blue, and, to say the truth, if Mr. Scriven had been wise, he would have let her alone, for at that moment she was a sort of revolving gun, and there was no knowing in which direction she would fire. As to keeping her to the point, that was quite out of the question. She said she thought it was exceedingly cruel and unpardonable of her brother to bring forward that charge, when he had formally promised her not to do so, and that she never would have told him a word about Colonel Middleton being Henry Haley if he had not given his word that he would do everything he could to help him. "'Then you know him to be Henry Haley?' said Mr. Scriven, fixing his cold eyes upon her. "'I know you would do anything to prevent his marrying Maria.' said Lady Fleetwood, now really angry. You would swear away his life, though I am quite sure he never committed the forgery at all, and I believe you're sure of it too. But you are sure he is Henry Haley, reiterated Mr. Scriven. 
Remember, you are on oath, Margaret. I believe you must answer the question, Lady Fleetwood, said Mr. Hargrave. Well, I do believe he is, said Lady Fleetwood, but I am sure I never would have told my brother about the man coming to my house and threatening to inform against the poor young gentleman if he had not promised to help him. That will do, said Mr. Scriven coolly and one of the magistrates inquired whether the accused had any questions to put to the witness. Henry, however, declined, and as Lady Fleetwood was retiring, he took her hand, saying in a kindly tone, "'Do not agitate yourself, my dear lady. You have not done me the slightest harm.' "'I am very glad of it,' replied Lady Fleetwood warmly, "'for I am sure I did it all with the best intentions.' "'I suppose you have other evidence to produce, Mr. Scriven?' said mr hargrave mr scriven hesitated he felt he was coming upon the most dangerous part of his case for though he had been bold in anticipation he was less so in act mr hargrave however continued i must look upon the testimony of mr marston that colonel middleton has long gone under the name he now bears and is believed to be entitled to it by persons who have known not only him from youth but have the best means of and strongest motives for ascertaining who he is and for resisting his pretensions if they were false as something very positive against which we have a mere expression of belief on the other side we must have something more sir to satisfy us besides i want to hear something about this man who used threats said colonel mandrake i am coming to that this moment said mr scriven seeing that he must necessarily proceed if he was determined to succeed and remembering that his companion mr stolterforth was well aware that he had what appeared strong corroborative evidence against the man whom he accused i think i have proved sufficiently that the likeness is so strong as to justify reasonable suspicion and i must observe that you have not heard one witness yet who having known the defendant more than ten years under the name of middleton can establish that he is not the same man as henry hayley i therefore think you would be justified in granting a warrant against him but i will produce further evidence if it be needful here the clerk whispered a word or two to mr hargrave who inquired apparently in consequence pray mr scriven under what circumstances was the warrant against this said henry hayley quashed or dropped the merchant hesitated for a moment, as if not very sure whether it would be better to enter into the details or not, and his first reply was vague and unsatisfactory. But Mr. Hargrave pressed him home. The clerk informs me, he said, that he remembers the case quite well, and that the warrant was dropped because the officer entrusted with the execution of it, after having pursued the fugitive into Italy, found him there in a dying state, and subsequently saw his dead body and witnessed his funeral do you admit these facts or do you not sir i admit that the officer saw a dead body which he was told was that of henry hayley mr scriven replied and he might witness the funeral for aught i know but i maintain that there was a juggle in all this well sir answered mr hargrave that is, at all events, strong presumptive evidence that Colonel Middleton cannot be Henry Hayley. Of course, said Colonel Mandrake, for if Henry Hayley died in Italy, Henry Hayley cannot be living here. We have not yet come to the resurrection of the just, Mr. Scriven. 
we may have come to the resurrection of the unjust however replied mr scriven uttering a joke for the first time in his life and that i think i can prove notwithstanding all opposition we must certainly have more evidence or dismiss the charge said mr hargrave there is nothing before us which we can either deal with ourselves or send to another court i say this much although colonel middleton has not yet commenced his defence well then more evidence you shall have answered mr scriven i will beg you to send for the man whom we brought hither from london in our chaise this request was immediately complied with and in a minute or two the worthy gentleman who has been named sam was brought into the room with mr scriven's servant who had received especial directions not to lose sight of him following close upon his heels this worthy personage being brought to the table and sworn declared that his name was samuel nugent and that he was by trade a general dealer he said also that on a certain night which he named he was crossing over frimley common when he accidentally kicked something with his foot which on examination he discovered to be a pocket-book that in it he found a number of papers which he proceeded to describe and all of which as he stated tended to show that henry hayley and colonel middleton were the same person the book itself said the man and a good many of the things in it i threw away but i kept these because i thought they were curious and then a friend of mine told me i might turn a penny by them we usually say turn an honest penny said mr hargrave gravely the word honest you have judiciously left out show me the papers the papers were accordingly handed up to him and he and his brother magistrates examined them carefully here is i find a memorandum book in which there are some entries which may very well bear the construction attempted to be put upon them i find the remarkable words the assumed name of colonel middleton and here are two letters addressed to henry hayley at eton and several other things referring to colonel middleton and to henry hayley which taken with other circumstances and the striking resemblance throw considerable suspicion on the case i am afraid colonel middleton i must call upon you for some clear and explicit explanation what is your defence remember sir said sir harry henderson that you are not obliged to make any statement and that whatever you say will be taken down and may be used against you at an after period i have no objection to such being the case replied henry calmly while maria terribly agitated at the serious turn which affairs seemed to be taking closed her eyes and bent down her head upon her hands i will simply ask a few questions and bring forward a few facts to show the character of the man who stands before you and the nature of the transaction in which he and mr scriven had been engaged i do not know he continued fixing his eyes sternly on the merchant sufficient of the law of england to be sure that it will justify me in requiring that gentleman to be held to bail upon a charge of subordination of perjury and the witness before you to be committed for perjury but i think i will show you very soon that there is ground for such a charge against each mr scriven turned very white but whether it was from fear or anger it might be difficult to say he certainly affected the appearance of the latter passion and was beginning to exclaim furiously against the insolent daring of the accuser when henry exclaimed cease cease sir 
you have been like the rattlesnake and have given warning of your design before you sprang me i have not forgotten the night at lady fleetwood's however now i will proceed to make good what i say joshua brown come forward and as he spoke the peddler advanced to the table do you know the last witness continued henry yes sir replied the man well then explain to the magistrates who and what he is was the rejoinder why gentlemen he's a well-known thief said the peddler he and three others attacked myself and this gentleman colonel middleton near a place called knight's hill on the night of friday the third knocked us down pillaged us of almost everything we had and were only prevented from murdering us i believe by some other people coming up amongst other things they took the colonel's pocket-book and he employed me to get it for him so on inquiring at the house of mr alston a silversmith and jeweller in the town of blank i found that the most likely place to hear of it was at the shop of a receiver of stolen goods named mingy bows he then went on to describe all that had occurred on that occasion and ended with the fact of the pocket-book having been thrown into the fire and consumed mr scriven was somewhat alarmed but he was too shrewd and clear-sighted to suffer any advantage to escape your worships will remark he said that it is here admitted that my witness had in his possession a pocket-book actually belonging to the person calling himself colonel middleton and that there were papers in that pocket-book of such consequence as to induce him to offer a hundred pounds to regain it you will also remark that i know nothing of the witness except what he himself has told me i cannot know how he became possessed of the pocket-book or of these papers and as he has stated that he threw the book away but retained these without stating whether it was into the fire he threw it or not it seems to me that the truth of his statement and the genuineness of these papers are rather confirmed than otherwise by the evidence just given oh you can tell very well how he became possessed of the papers replied the peddler looking him full in the face because you know you told him what he was to say here why didn't you in lady fleetwood's dining-room the other morning put him up to saying that he found the pocket-book as he was crossing the common this was said in the most simple and natural manner in the world but its effect on mr scriven was very terrible his lips turned livid and for a moment he remained speechless and motionless holding the edge of the table as if for support what is that what is that exclaimed colonel mandrake he told him what he was to say here did he yes your worship replied joshua brown he told him in lady fleetwood's dining-room on wednesday morning last they can't deny it either of them mr scriven was utterly confounded and for the moment had not a word of reply but sam nugent who was as bold in lying as in other things answered at once with an oath i do deny it it's false how came you to know or rather how can you know what took place in lady fleetwood's dining-room demanded mr scriven taking courage from the man's bold tone because i was in the next room sir and heard every word of it answered the peddler with the utmost composure pray how happened you to be there my good sir demanded mr hargrave i went on purpose sir with another witness replied joshua brown deliberately the way was this the man mingy bows that is the fence as they would call him or receiver of stolen goods 
called twice upon the colonel there to try and frighten him out of some money he did not see him either time but the last time he saw me and a very unpleasant sight it was for him i was sitting with the colonel's servant when he was shown in and having got my hand upon his neck about the robbery i soon brought him to reason and made him tell me all about their plans i found that he and this young gentleman were to go to lady fleetwood's on wednesday morning last and that they hoped to get a thousand pounds out of her on account of the papers they pretended to have so i made my arrangements accordingly knowing that my lady was to be out of town and that they were to see mr scriven which i learned by accident and so i told mr carlini the colonel's servant not to say a word to his master for fear he should not like it but just to ask leave to stay one day behind him in london it was granted readily enough and as mr carlini knew her ladyship's housekeeper and one of the other servants we got admission and you went to listen to what i said you scoundrels exclaimed mr scriven no sir begging your pardon replied the pedlar quite civilly i did not go to learn what you said for i had no thought you would say anything like what you did say i went to hear what this man said to you that i might detect his trick and punish him as he deserved however i heard enough to surprise me very much for i never fancied a gentleman would condescend to trade with a thief and promise him five hundred pounds if he would swear away another man's life there was a dead silence in the room for a minute after these strong words and then mr hargrave looked round to the other magistrates saying this is becoming very serious gentlemen very serious indeed said colonel mandrake slowly and sir harry henderson echoed his words adding is the person who was with you on this occasion in the room no sir replied joshua brown but he is in the house and can be called in a minute let us hear you out first said mr hargrave be so good as to relate the whole conversation you overheard the pedlar did so with wonderful accuracy and carlini having been called in gave exactly the same account at first mr scriven was silent confused and overpowered but he soon recovered himself he was not a man either to believe or to admit that he had done a wrong thing and by the time the tale was told he was prepared to face it well gentlemen he said addressing the magistrates i do not well see what this has to do with the case if i did suggest to the man a way of accounting for having the pocket-book in his possession it does not at all prove that these papers are not genuine it is proved sir that you suggested to him to take a false oath said mr hargrave very sternly it is proved that he did take a false oath and the credibility both of the man's evidence and your own is very seriously affected by his character his conduct and your dealings with him call in a constable there i shall give him into custody and send him to london upon the charge of the robbery if not of the perjury with you sir i really do not know how to deal and he leaned his head upon his hand and thought gravely it is not ten minutes ago sir said mr scriven sharply that you refused to entertain a charge against this person calling himself colonel middleton because the act with which he was charged had been committed in another county i did not refuse to entertain the charge replied mr hargrave i informed you of what the usual course 
and i believe the strictly legal one magistrates however must sometimes overstep mere technical difficulties and in the case of this man samuel nugent i have no doubt at all but will send him to london in custody upon my own responsibility in the same way also i have now determined to enter fully into your charge of forgery against colonel middleton if the prosecutor and he are both desirous of our doing so otherwise i certainly shall take no steps whatever i suppose sir i am the prosecutor in this case technically speaking said mr stolterforth stepping forward and as such i shall be perfectly satisfied with your decision upon the whole case whatever that decision may be i was very unwilling i must say to open the matter again at all and would have let it rest had not mr scriven pressed me earnestly to proceed it is so long ago that it might very well be dropped and moreover i always entertained some doubts as to whether the party charged was the one really criminal the evidence certainly was strong but i had known the boy long and it was hardly possible to believe him guilty in regard to the question of identity i certainly thought the proofs brought forward by mr scriven were convincing but my view has been altered since i came here and now i entertain many doubts under these circumstances i am the more anxious that the whole matter should be investigated at once and i pledge myself to abide by the decision of the magistrates present and whatever their decision may be said henry i shall be satisfied with it there was a momentary pause as if no one knew well how to commence the somewhat irregular proceeding agreed upon but at length henry took another step forward to the table and taking mr stolterfall's hand he said my dear sir you have done me justice and from my heart i thank you for your good opinion to simplify all your proceedings however i will at once admit that i am henry Haley. i beg your pardon my dear sir said mr hargrave laughing but you are under a mistake you are not henry Haley. my brother magistrates and myself have just this moment agreed that you are not and i can take upon myself to affirm of my own positive knowledge that we are right then why admit it asked mr scriven harshly while mr stolterforth and most of the party present looked perfectly bewildered nay let me make the admission my dear sir said henry addressing mr hargrave this painful scene has already continued too long and i have only suffered it to do so in order to show the vehement animosity excited against me i will therefore in order to curtail every unnecessary detail admit moreover that i was charged with forgery upon a due and formal information upon oath that a warrant was granted against me and that i fled the country that is enough i think exclaimed mr scriven the matter ought now to be sent to a competent court stop sir said henry sternly and be so good as to hear me out i admit i say that i fled the country but not to escape the arm of the law for i had with me full proof of my innocence and as you have heard from the witness joshua brown the man who burned the pocket-book of which he had robbed me acknowledged that there was in it a document purporting to have been written by the late mr Haley, which clearly stated that the forgery was his that i knew nothing of it and that i had consented to abandon my country and rest under the imputation of crime in order to save a father from death all oh, very pretty said mr scriven but we have not the paper to examine 
we cannot ascertain whether it was genuine i myself believe it to have been a fabrication and the evidence was overpowering against you you fled at once to northumberland thence to wales thence to london thence to the continent changing everywhere the notes in which the forged bill had been paid i wish sir you would not interrupt me said henry you have surely had sufficient license of the tongue to-day allow me at least to make my own statement connectedly mr haley one day gave me a draft upon your house of which he had been very lately a partner apparently accepted by yourself to discount at mrs stolterforth's bank at the same time he entered into an explanation of some of his affairs which i already knew to be seriously deranged telling me that he must absolutely have two thousand pounds more within a week and that as soon as i had got the draft discounted i must go down with all speed to this very house and borrow that sum for him of his friend lord mellant then in attendance on his father at this house mr stolterforth kindly discounted the bill at once i now believe the money to be obtained from lord mellant was destined by mr haley to take up the bill before the forgery was discovered but i knew nothing of that and set out that night for belford when i arrived here i found that the earl of milford was dead and that his son had set out to convey the body to the family vault near carmarthen as i had been told that the necessity of mr haley's case was urgent i followed changing as mr scriven says several of the notes which mr haley had given me at different places to pay my expenses i missed lord milford at carmarthen but passed him while in the mail on my road to london as he was being carried into an inn with concussion of the brain his carriage having been overturned and nearly dashed to pieces it is false however that i changed any notes whatsoever after i went to the continent for mr haley had himself provided me foreign gold so that i had no notes whatever to change i recollect i recollect said mr stolterforth i have a memorandum of it here several notes were traced to a money-changer who said he had received them for napoleons from an elderly man of whom he could give no particular description and could not identify him i went to london in the most open manner continued henry in the public mail-coach with my name at large on my portmanteau and proceeded from the post-office at once to mr haley's house there i found him up and waiting for me and for the first time learned the crime he had committed everything was already prepared for my instant departure and he besought me in an agony of distress and agitation to save him from disgrace and death could a son refuse a father under such circumstances i could not and i fled the statement seems exceedingly likely said mr stolterforth the only improbable part of the whole is that mr haley should send his son a boy of sixteen or seventeen to borrow a sum of two thousand pounds from lord mellant when it would have been much more natural and proper for him to go himself lady anne mellant smiled and henry replied there was a cause but even without any peculiar motive being assigned the fact did not strike me at the time as the least extraordinary for i had been all my life a peculiar favourite with lord mellant he had been uniformly kind and generous towards me and had more than once told me if ever i should want advice or assistance of any kind to apply to him without scruple 
Mr. Haley told me to make it my own request to the young lord, and I was prepared to do so, without much doubt of the result. "'I think the whole story most improbable, from the beginning to the end,' said Mr. Scriven, "'and I must say it should be thoroughly sifted in a court of justice, before we admit the truth of a tale, every word of which is wanting in confirmation.' "'Confirmation it shall have to the fullest extent,' said Lady Anne Mellant, coming forward to the table with a packet of papers in her hand. "'Happily for myself and others, I can give that which you so bitterly demand, sir.' She was a good deal agitated, but it was evident that anger had some share in her emotion, for as she spoke she fixed her bright, beautiful eyes steadily upon Mr. Scriven, her nostril expanded, and her lip quivered. "'In the first place,' she continued, "'it shall be confirmed that this gentleman came down here to seek Lord Mellant. "'Stand forth, Mr. Gunnell, and tell these gentlemen who you are, "'and what you know of this transaction.' "'The good, stout person of Mr. Gunnell now made its way forward to Lady Anne's side, "'and he said, "'My name is Gunnell, and I am the landlord of the Bell Inn at Belford. "'I remember quite well a young gentleman of sixteen or seventeen though he was very tall and manly for his age, coming down to my house by the mail in the month of August, about ten years ago. That gentleman is very like him. I should say, certainly, tis the same gentleman grown older. When he got out, he asked how far it was to Milford Castle, and said he must go on directly, for he had to see Lord Mellant upon business. I told him it was sixteen miles, and that he couldn't go on that night for all our horses were out. He took dinner, and asked very often if the horses had come in. He seemed very anxious to see Lord Mellant, but as it was a stiff journey, and there had been a run upon the road, I did not like the horses to go before they had had a night's rest. He did not change any notes at my house, but paid me in gold, and I never heard any inquiries made about it, till Lady Anne asked me the other night if I recollected the facts. When he went from my house, he came straight over here in a chaise of mine, but I heard from the postboy afterwards that finding the old lord was dead, and the young lord gone with the body into Wales, the gentleman had gone on in the chaise to Wooler, seeming very anxious to catch his lordship as soon as possible. That's all I know upon the subject. "'And quite enough, too, Mr. Gunnell,' said Mr. Hargrave, with an approving nod of the head. "'I am quite satisfied,' said Mr. Stolterforth. "'But Lady Anne exclaimed, "'No, not yet. "'There shall not be a shade of suspicion left upon his name. "'May I ask you, Colonel Mandrake, to read that paper aloud? "'You were acquainted with my dear father, "'and must know his handwriting at the bottom. "'The other signature I can prove, "'for the witness is now in this house, "'and shall describe what he saw and heard.' "'I will read the paper at once, my lady.' replied Colonel Mandrake. I see your father's handwriting, and would swear to it anyway from the peculiar turn of the D. The confession of Stephen Haley, made in the presence of Charles, Earl of Milford, on the eleventh day of October, 18 blank, at Harley Lodge, in the county of Hertford. I, Stephen Haley, upon the solemn promise of the Earl of Milford, never to divulge what I am now about to write, until after my death, except in case a young gentleman, known by the name of Henry Haley, now supposed to be dead, 
should again reappear in this country, do hereby acknowledge and confess that I did forge the name of Mr. Henry Scriven, and the word accepted on a bill of exchange, which was discounted for me by the said young gentleman at the house of Messrs. Stolterforth and Company, bankers, and that he, the said Henry Haley, was totally and entirely ignorant that the bill was forged, when he so discounted it, and that he never either knew or, to the best of my belief, suspected that the said bill was forged till the very morning on which he departed for the continent. Moreover, I acknowledge and confess that he left England at my earnest entreaty, and solely with the view of saving my life. I, having previously furnished him, with a paper to the same effect as this present, in order to insure him from danger if he should be apprehended and brought back. I solemnly declare every word herein above written to be true, and I authorise the Earl of Milford to produce this paper in case the said Henry Haley should not be dead, and should ever return to England, and to make whatever use of it he may think fit after my death. Signed, Stephen Haley. Witnesses Milford Thomas Alsager My father's signature can be proved by Alsager, said Lady Anne. Let Thomas Alsager be called. Mr. Hargrave, will you put what questions to him you think necessary? When the name of Thomas Alsager had been pronounced, a stout, portly man, Lady Anne's butler, advanced to the table, bowing to the magistrates. Thomas Alsager, said Mr. Hargrave. Did you ever witness, in the presence of your late master, the signature of a gentleman named Haley? Yes, your worship, replied the man. I did. Is that your handwriting? demanded Mr. Hargrave. It is, answered the butler. Describe what occurred on that occasion, said Mr. Hargrave. Why, your worship, replied the man, my lord had been very ill from an accident by which he had nearly been killed, but he had been recovering rapidly and had walked out once or twice in the park, when one morning at breakfast he had taken up a newspaper, just as I was putting some things on the table, and all in a minute he started up, as if he had seen something frightful, threw the paper down under his feet, and trampled upon it. I never saw him in such a way before, and he cried out, "'Send a man on horseback immediately for that villain, Haley. "'Tell him to come down to me directly, "'and say, if he does not come, I will come and fetch him.' "'My lady was in the room, and she tried to quiet him. "'He did get a little more composed, and he wrote a note, "'and sent the carriage instead of a man on horseback. "'Mr. Haley came back in the carriage, "'and when he got out I saw he was pale and trembling. "'I showed him into my lord's little room.' and there he remained for about an hour, and as I passed and repassed I could hear my lord's voice very high at times, till at last he rang the bell, as if he would have shaken it down. I ran as fast as possible, and I found Mr. Haley on his knees before him, crying, I will indeed, I will do it this minute. Then my lord answered, Very well, sir, if you have told the truth you can have no objection to write it. You may go away, Elsager. In about half an hour after, he rang again, but much more quietly, and when I went in, I found Mr. Haley sitting with that paper before him, not spread out, but doubled down, so that I could only see the last words, and my lord said, I wish you to witness this person's signature, Alsager. Now, Mr. Haley, 
then mr haley put his hand upon the paper and said all i have written in this paper is true so help me god and then he wrote his name my lord wrote his and i wrote mine and went away in a few minutes after mr haley went too but my lord would never see him afterwards though he called once or twice no further questions were asked of the butler but sir harry henderson remarked here is your name upon the back of the paper hargrave i see that was merely for verification said mr hargrave in order to be able to prove how when and where this and other papers were found rather singular indeed said mr scriven whose bitter spirit was not yet fully worked out that the earl should leave such a paper about when his old schoolfellow's life depended upon it he did not leave it about sir answered lady anne he placed it in a cabinet here at milford a short time before his death and sealed up that cabinet with a strip of parchment impressing the wax at each end with his own coat of arms the seal he left by his will to mr hargrave so that it has never been in my possession nor have i ever been at milford castle since my father's death till i came here with mr hargrave the key of the cabinet sealed up in a letter directed to me and explaining the nature of the papers i would find therein when i came of age my father ordered to be given to me after his death mr hargrave witnessed my opening of that cabinet the parchment being then uncut and the seals unbroken and he wrote his name upon each of the papers found therein to identify them in case of need i mention these facts mr scriven lest you should suspect me of fabricating these papers though what possible motive i could have for fabricating them it might be difficult to discover not so difficult as your ladyship supposes replied mr scriven with a last spirit of disappointed spleen love we know will make people do many strange things love cried lady anne with a gay smile well so be it i do love him and she put her arm through that of henry i do love him most dearly most truly most tenderly then no wonder madam your ladyship tries hard to save a man you wish to marry said mr scriven marry exclaimed lady anne laughing joyously nay nay my good sir not marry my own brother mr scriven looked confounded and there was many a one in the room who was very much though not equally surprised after a moment's silence however lady anne turned to henry placing the rest of the papers she had brought in his hands and saying there henry my dear brother i put you in possession of that which is yours i am no longer mistress of this house of this estate or of any of the property of the milford family they go with the title to you harley lodge and my mother's property are all that i can claim and i do not think you will make me pay back rents for that which i have not kept willingly one such brother is to me worth all the property in the world henry threw his arms round her and kissed her tenderly but bursting away from him with her own wild grace she cast herself upon the bosom of maria monckton and wept the magistrates rose from the table at which they had been sitting and shook hands with and congratulated him who had been the object of so much interest and so much investigation charles marston and mr winkworth were not behind them and poor lady fleetwood exclaimed with a sigh well this is very extraordinary and very fortunate 
"'Very extraordinary, indeed,' said Mr. Scriven, dryly. "'And not the least extraordinary part of the whole "'is a body of magistrates rising to shake hands "'with a person still under a charge of felony.' "'I drop the charge entirely,' said Mr. Stolterforth. "'I am perfectly convinced, as any reasonable man must be, "'that there is not the slightest foundation for it, whatever.' "'Nevertheless,' said Mr. Hargrave, who had heard Mr. Scriven's observation and the rejoinder, "'Mr. Scriven is quite right. This is an unusual manner of expressing the unanimous decision at which I believe we have arrived. We must proceed more orderly. Sir Harry Henderson, Colonel, let me have your decision.' He spoke for a single moment apart with each of his brother magistrates, and then, resuming his seat with the rest, he said, "'It is the unanimous opinion of the justices present.' that there is not the slightest ground for the accusation which has been made against the gentleman known here by the name of Colonel Middleton. Charge dismissed. Clerk, you will have the goodness to send all the papers to the proper quarter, and, in case of any question as to our having acted out of our jurisdiction, I take the responsibility thereof upon myself. The prisoner, Samuel Nugent, must be sent to London, with a copy of the depositions by which he is affected. "'Then I am to consider that the case against Colonel Middleton, alias Haley, alias Milford, is disposed of?' said Mr. Scriven. "'As far as we are concerned, this case is, sir,' replied Mr. Hargrave. "'There is another case, however, affecting subordination of perjury, which, not having any parallel case in remembrance, I do not know how to deal with. I will, however, when I get home, consult authorities on the subject,' and confer with my brother magistrates. If you are still in the country, you shall hear from me on the matter. This delicate hint was not lost upon Mr. Scriven, although he saw that the game was against him indeed. He had a strong inclination to see if nothing could be done to retrieve it. But he was a man of calculation, hardy, persevering, it is true, in pursuit of an object, but yet unwilling to risk much upon a perilous speculation and in the present instance he was quietly beating a retreat as soon as mr hargrave's eye was off him he was interrupted however in his course by a loud clear sharp voice exclaiming hey scriven scriven and turning round as almost all the rest of the party did at this sudden exclamation he saw the eyes of mr winkworth fixed upon him through a pair of large spectacles just let me remind you before you go scriven said mr winkworth that you owe the sum of twenty one thousand two hundred and sixty three pounds eleven shillings and five pence to the heirs executors administrators or assigns of the late stephen haley esq whose sole representative i take to be miss rebecca haley now in confinement by your orders at brook green if mr scriven ever really felt fury it was at that moment what is that to you sir he demanded fiercely your assertion is false no it is not answered mr winkworth it is quite true and not only will i prove it so within the next three months but i will prove that you have owed it for ten years and denied the debt because you had got possession of the vouchers mr scriven had waxed marvellously pale and he gazed in mr winkworth's face as if he beheld a ghost and who are you he demanded in a dull, hollow tone, but those were the only words he seemed capable of uttering. "'I am one who have known you well, 
replied Mr. Winkworth, for well nigh thirty years, and if your memory of faces were as good as you pretend, methinks you might have remembered mine. There, go, go, we shall meet in London within a month, and pray you see that my accounts with your house are in somewhat better order than those of unhappy Stephen Haley. Mr. Scriven was very near the door, and a servant, opening it at that moment, gave him an opportunity of slipping out without any great bustle. Henry was at that moment speaking a few words to Lady Anne Mellant, and pale Maria Monkton. Pale, I say, for agitation had blanched her cheek till it looked like the leaf of a lily. "'Shall I call him back and ask him to stay?' he said, in a low but eager tone, addressing Maria. "'No, Henry, no,' she answered, laying her hand upon his arm. "'It would only be a misery to himself, and a restraint to us. "'You can never be friends, for you are nature's opposites, "'but you will endure him for my sake, and better at a distance.' "'At that moment Lady Fleetwood advanced towards them, "'her face beaming with every kindly purpose. "'My dear lord,' she said, while Maria looked up in his face with a gentle smile, I congratulate you most sincerely, and dear Maria, too, upon the wonderful events that have happened. I don't understand it at all for my part, though I see that it has all ended quite right and happily. You must indeed forgive my poor brother Scriven, for you know he is a dry, commonplace man of business, and I am sure did it all with the best intentions. Maria could hardly refrain from laughing. But Sir Harry Henderson, who was standing near, said in a jocular sort of way, "'Indeed, Lady Fleetwood, few of us understand the matter completely, and should very much like to hear the whole explained, without waiting for a newspaper account of it.' "'Such explanation, my dear sir, I shall be most happy to give you,' said Henry, "'but not now. I have my sister's directions to ask the whole party here assembled, and, more especially, yourself and Colonel Mandrake, to remain and dine with us. I would hold out the explanation of all mysteries as a temptation, did I not think that the bare request of Lady Anne would be quite sufficient for any gentleman here present. "'Assuredly, assuredly, my lord,' replied Colonel Mandrake, who was a very gallant old gentleman, with bushy black and white eyebrows and an aquiline nose. "'But, unfortunately, we are here in mourning costume.' "'That will be easily amended,' said Lady Anne, with one of her gay looks. "'Nobody, indeed, will remark Colonel Mandrake's costume when he is himself present. "'But if he needs must attend to all those proprieties which so much distinguish him, "'a man and horse will be at liberty in a few minutes to bring whatever he requires. "'And now let us adjourn to another room, for this has been so full of agitating feelings "'that the air seems loaded with ill-affections.' "'Mingled with pure and noble ones, dear Anne,' said Henry, laying his hand upon hers. "'Now, kind Lady Fleetwood, let me give you my arm, and let none of us regret what has passed, as we have all acted with the best intentions.'" End of chapter 38